Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Please be seated if you're not seated, uh, seated already. I wonder if you were asked to name a handful of defining moments in your life, what would you say they were? I know that for me, I could count probably just on a two hands what they are. And one of those moments happened at the end of my first year in the States. As many of you already know, I arrived here in the US from England in 2002. The joke at the time was that I was a month late, but worth the wait. You see, my visa took longer than expected to arrive. And the reason I came was that I was called to be the head youth pastor of this little church on an island called Sullivan's Island, Holy Cross. Now, things were a little bit different back then. There was just one campus. The rector also drove a very fast red Ford Mustang. And the associate rector was this young man called Chris Warner, who still had a full head of hair, and none of them were gray. <clears throat> well, it was a harder adjustment for me than I could have imagined. Obviously, there were the cultural differences, such as how Americans spell all kinds of words the wrong way. Neighbor with no U, recognize with a Z or Z, as the Brits would say, and not an S. And of course, my favorite, aluminum, or as the English say, aluminium, as well as how Americans like to drive on the wrong side of the road, the right which is wrong, not the left which is right, plus also how Americans have to endure this two-year-long election process with accompanying campaign ads and rallies and primaries and caucuses and professional pundits, etc., etc. Friends, I almost hate to tell you this in case you choose to emigrate, but in Great Britain, once they announce an election, it lasts three weeks from start to end. But besides these things, I was trying to make friends in a place where I didn't know anyone. I was adjusting to being 4,000 miles from my family. And all the while, I was adapting to a new way of doing ministry. You know, God was faithful in the midst of my transition, but I still struggled. And at the end of my first year, I knew that something wasn't quite right. It was then that one of those defining moments happened. Out of the blue, I got a message from three high school guys in our youth group, and they wanted to meet me over dinner and talk about some of the struggles they were having with my style of ministry. You see, guided by an adult leader, they had decided to take the biblical approach to dealing with disagreements in the body of Christ. And they came directly to me, and I am forever grateful that they did. Well, as we ate dinner and talked, they shared their frustrations with how things were going in the youth group and how they felt it all began with my leadership. I wasn't fully investing in them and the other students. I was somewhat distant and uninvolved when they needed a pastor who would know them and care for them and disciple them. Friends, it wasn't easy to hear, as you could imagine, but I knew it was the Lord speaking to me by his Spirit. And that summer, as I went away to spend some time in prayer and planning for the new year ahead, the Lord spoke to me. You see, I was wrestling with what to do next and how I would change, and he spoke to me in one of my quiet times with him. It was through a devotional on Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, where the Lord says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, 
and be careful to obey my rules. The author of the devotion, a man many of you will know, was Lloyd John Ogilvy. And Ogilvy wrote this, it's usually at the point where life has hardened our hearts that they are vulnerable to be broken. Pride, willfulness, determined plans for ourselves and others, preconceptions about what should happen are areas where our hearts get hardened by self-determination. What we want is projected onto God and what we expect him to pull it off for us, and we expect him to. When it doesn't happen, we feel our hearts break. They break because, in Ezekiel's terms, they are hearts of stone. You know, in moving to the United States, my heart had become hardened, partly to protect myself, but mostly out of a sense that I knew what was best. After all, I'd been doing this church ministry thing for about five years already, and at least two of those years had been full-time. But now I was being broken, and I needed a new heart. I needed a spirit-renewed heart of flesh. Today, as we celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit to all people 2,000 years ago, I want us each to ask this question. How is my heart doing? How is my heart doing? If you were to have a spiritual heart checkup, what would the results look like? You see, as we'll discover, it's critical that we do this from time to time because the heart is at the very center of who we are. And Pentecost is an appropriate time to do this. So let's turn to our readings for today and see what God would say to each one of us. And I want to begin by focusing primarily on Ezekiel. Now, this might seem odd because Ezekiel is not a book of the Bible that many of us spend much time in. And that's a shame because it's packed with much that we can learn, particularly how God, even in the face of great disobedience, and even after he's disciplined his people, is still willing to show his grace to those who repent and return to him. To give you a little context, though, this book was written by the prophet Ezekiel about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And the situation is that because of the Israelites' continued disobedience of God, God has allowed Jerusalem, their capital city, to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Well, the Jews have scattered, and many of them, including Ezekiel, are living in exile. Therefore, Ezekiel is speaking to a people who've been forced from their homeland, a people in great confusion and even despair. And they're wondering if they'll ever be able to return and rebuild this great capital city of theirs. It is a defining moment in the history of the Jews. Well, as the spokesman for the Lord, Ezekiel speaks words that defend God's actions. But he's also seeking to give hope to the hopeless if they will return to him. And what does it look like to return to God? Well, as we've heard in our reading, it has everything to do with our hearts. You know, the Hebrew word for the heart is lab, but unlike in the English language where the heart is just seen as the seat of our emotions, think of the hearts we think of on Valentine's Day, in Hebrew, the word is speaking of the very inner person, the mind, the will, the emotions, and understanding. It is, in fact, our inmost nature, our very being. It's who you are when no one else is looking. In our reading, though, we see there are two kinds of hearts portrayed here. There's a heart of stone, and there's a heart of flesh. So let's compare the two and see what the difference is. And first of all, we'll start with a heart of stone. 
You know, when parts of a physical heart harden, it's called calcification. In fact, I was talking with one of you who's going through this very thing at the moment. Well, once a section of the arteries in a heart calcify, the soft, supple tissue becomes hard and brittle. And although small spots of calcification can be tolerated, they can also continue to grow. And the parts of the calcified heart, they never soften as they stay hard and brittle. As you can imagine, a heart like this has some real issues. It doesn't work efficiently and, in fact, can harm the body. Well, just as our physical hearts can calcify, our spiritual hearts can also calcify. They become stubborn, they become rebellious, and they become insensitive. And it does us great harm spiritually. In fact, the Bible often talks about this happening. And here in our passage from Ezekiel, we have one such example as God deals with the Jews. In the case of the Israelites, though, it isn't a one-off event. It's a pattern that keeps on happening, one that's been recurring for over 300 years, at least since the time of King David and King Solomon. Since then, the Israelites have, on the whole, neglected their relationship with the Lord, and they've defiled their land, this gift that's been given them to God. They've, they've made it unclean by worshiping false idols and other gods and doing terrible things in the process. They have forgotten whose they are and who they are, how they've been chosen as God's people for the sake of all mankind, a vehicle to bring salvation to this earth. Well, now, 300 years later, the Israelites are reaping the reward they deserve. They've tested God's patience for long enough. Their hearts are so hardened towards him that it's going to take something devastating to reawaken them. So now, after numerous warnings, he's decided to let them be scattered as a nation across the known world. Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my own life that God isn't afraid to let me suffer the consequences of my sin. Sometimes it seems to be the only way that he can get my attention. And even for a committed follower of Jesus, there are so many ways that my heart can begin to calcify, to harden. It's easy, isn't it, to become distracted by the trappings of this culture that we live in. And before we know it, we've taken the good things of this world and we've turned them into ultimate things, or what the Bible calls idols. And so we put our security in money or our jobs, our relationships, our looks, our zip code, our pleasure, our own importance, etc., etc. And our hearts begin to calcify as we begin to trust in our own ways and not the Lord's. And then compassion fatigue can gradually set in. And even though we see so much need around us, we can become tired of serving others, tired of putting others before ourselves, even tired of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, the tricky thing about calcification is that it's hard to catch. Generally, it's subtle and it's slow, not quick and easily noticeable. We're talking about months or years, not days and weeks. Reminds me of a popular song a few years back called Slow Fade by a Christian band called Casting Crowns. And they sing, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Yes, it's slow. And before we know it, though, our hearts are like stone. So what in comparison does a heart of flesh look like? Well, 
A heart of flesh is one that's soft, it's impressionable, and it's responsive to God. As I said in my sermon a few weeks ago, it's one that says, thy will be done, not my will be done. It's humble and not proud. It's compassionate, not full of judgment and quick to shame others. It's quick to repent and quick to forgive. And how is that? Well, the answer is in our text. And for those who are wondering what this has to do with Pentecost, here it is. In verse 27 of our Ezekiel passage, God says, and I will put my spirit within you. God, through Ezekiel, is pointing 600 years forward to the coming of the Messiah, the one that Israel's been longing for to come and to set them free, the one we heard about way back in the beginning of our journey through Luke this year. Remember chapter 3? Luke quotes John the Baptist as saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's talking about Jesus. But in Ezekiel, God also points towards the one who'll come after Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You see that John the Baptist goes on to say, he, that's Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. To put it simply, all those who choose to follow Jesus will be empowered with the Spirit and God himself will dwell within them. Yes, a heart of flesh is one that is filled with God's Spirit. And as Paul writes in Galatians, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is a heart that's transformed through the love of God by His Spirit at work within it. And the result of this heart transformation is that we become, by God's gracious initiative, the kind of people that we have failed to be. The implanting of God's Spirit within us transforms our very motives. And as it says in verse 27, it empowers us to live according to God's ways. And we, the church that is, we become a beacon of hope for the world, the beacon that Israel was meant to be. And people will know the one true God and they will be saved. At Pentecost, a defining moment in the history of not just the church, but the world, this becomes a reality. As Jesus has promised, the Holy Spirit comes and he transforms his followers into people who can change the world around them. Their hearts are set on fire for him and nothing will ever be the same again. As we come to a close today, I simply want to ask, how is your heart? How is your heart? After all we've been through over this past few months, would you characterize it as more stubborn and rebellious and insensitive? Or is it now more soft and impressionable and responsive to God? Do you tend to say, my will be done or thy will be done? Would you say that you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, in love and joy and peace and patience and so on? Or are you stagnant and even heading backwards? Is your heart a beacon of hope for the world, set on fire for Jesus? Is your heart bold? You see, being filled with the Spirit brings a boldness to our actions. It leads to a life of abandoned worship and praise and a desire to share the good news of Jesus with others, that they can be set free from sin and death. Yes, it's a life characterized by faith and not by fear. So again, how is your heart doing? 
You know, for me, 17 years ago, and for the Israelites, 2,500 years before that, it took a surprising and painful wake-up call from the Lord. If your heart's calcifying, hopefully it won't be like that for you. But it may. And maybe the Lord's speaking to you today. Maybe it's taken this pandemic to get your attention. And not just for your sake, but for his sake. He longs to transform your heart. He longs for you to be a beacon for him that others might know him through you. Would you then today either ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit for the first time or to fill you again? There's no limit on how often you can ask. In our reading from Luke, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And what will he give us? Well, if we look closely at the passage, we'll see that the one thing he guarantees is to give us his Holy Spirit. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, may we be a congregation of people with soft, impressionable, and responsive hearts, a people ready to follow him wherever he might lead us and whatever the cost may be, emboldened and empowered by the Spirit of God. Charles Spurgeon once said this, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. What are you afraid of, friends? What do you have to lose that you won't lose anyway? Do you want to keep on doing nothing? Or do you want to play your part in seeing God's kingdom come here on earth? Might this be a defining moment for you and for the kingdom of God? As we come to a close today, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to invite Chris Warner to come up and to lead us in a time of prayer ministry, a time where you can respond and ask God by his Holy Spirit to come into your heart either for the first time or to come once again and to fill you up. Just allow ourselves to be in a posture of prayer. You might even, you might even open your hands like that. Sometimes it's our physical actions that can be an expression of the inner posture of our hearts. We know we always come to God uh, in this kind of way, not really with anything to offer him, but, but seeking from him, the one who is always more willing to give than we are even to receive. And so perhaps this morning is the time, maybe the first time, for you to yield your life to Jesus Christ. And so if that's you now, just envision your life there in your hands and, and make it an offering. And as you do so, you might pray out loud. You can follow behind me saying, Lord God, have mercy upon me and forgive me. I've gone my own way. Would you forgive me now of all my sin? Not because I've earned it, but because you freely give because of the death of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come and fill my heart and make it new? Would you come and wash away all the darkness and fill me with light by the power of your Holy Spirit? 
And Lord, show me how to follow you in the days ahead that I might give, that I might give a word to someone else about what I have done this day. And Lord, for those of us who have known you but who have allowed our hearts to get hardened and calcified, we repent. We turn back to you, Lord. We acknowledge before you our condition and we make no excuses. But we know we come to a good father and we know that it is that blood of Jesus Christ that covers us and cleanses us and makes us anew. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, come and fill us this day with power and with life. Come and baptize us, O Lord. Come and fill us anew and release your gifts and set them on fire. Give us a passion and a joy, not only for you, but for the people around us who do not as yet know you. Lord, take away religion and make it a deep relationship deep relationship. Oh Lord, break our hearts with the things that break your heart. And set us afire with the Holy Spirit for the sake of the beautiful one, Jesus our Lord. And in his mighty name we pray.